0: Welcome to week six of Ghost Stories. As you just saw, our title this week is The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. And I am on sermon number six on day seven. By the time I preach tonight, I'll have seven sermons preached in the last seven days. For those of you that were praying for me while I was preaching the revival uh, for my friend Harold Newsom and Beckley, I thank you very much. It was a very fruitful revival. It was uh, beneficial to a lot of people. There were healings that took place. There were breakthroughs and deliverances. There was salvation and restoration, and God was good to us. And And, and my son Jared and I had a good time uh, spending time together and, and spending time with some ministry partners that we haven't seen in a while. and And the Lord blessed and moved. And to be honest with you, uh, it was some of the best services I've been in in a long time And God God really, uh, God really moved on our behalf And I, I've never preached a revival like that I've never preached a revival where I went in and was writing sermons to preach at the revival Usually you don't want to do that You want to be a little more polished and buttoned up than that But uh, such is what God wanted me to do I thought I was going one, to wh- one way and he, he moved me a different direction but it, everything was uh, uh, it, well received, the altars were full, people crying and seeking the Lord and God's, God's uh, spirit was mighty in the house. So thank you all that were praying for me. Amen. And this is week six of our sermon series. And if this is your first time here, you're probably thinking, what in the world did I walk into? And what you walked into was that church. Because we are... That church. We have we have a motto. As a matter of fact, you guys were part of my sermon last night. You didn't know that. But I wrote a sermon yesterday afternoon to preach last night at the Beckley Church of God. And uh, the premise and the idea that it was birthed from, from was our three core values here at Promise of Victory. And some of you uh, have heard them and all of you have forgotten them. So let, So let me remind you. Uh, We're that church where uh, everyone is somebody, nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. That's what we believe here as our core values, and everything we do has to do with those three things. And I preached a sermon last night to another church based on those three core values. And um, this morning, we are doing week six. This is the intentional Last week of Ghost Stories. I say intentional because there's a bonus episode next week, but it's not officially part of Ghost Stories. But uh, I had so much uh, spillover from one of my other sermons, I had to tack it on to the end of this because it went so well with it. So uh, this, this is the last official sermon for Ghost Stories, and I intentionally put this one at the end. It's very important. This sermon this morning could change the destiny of eternity for someone. If you've been here throughout the rest of the series, we've been dealing with some very intimate healings that needed to take place for people. Like we talked about families and the hurts that we have and uh, the pain that uh, we go looking in graveyards for and... We've dealt with some very intimate things. This morning, we are bringing it all to a conclusion, and we're going to deal with eternity. And a lot of pastors won't preach on Sunday mornings salvation, because they assume that all of their people sitting in the pews are saved. And the reason they assume that is because the people sitting in the pews assume that. But I've asked the Holy Ghost this morning to give you a different revelation of what real salvation looks like. Because we're going to talk about the walking dead. Now, let me begin this morning with just a little bit of a not so serious image. Have you ever talked to somebody that you thought was smart? But the longer you talked to them, there was this one thing that they had... Uh, That their mind wandered into an area and you looked at them and said, I thought they were smarter than that. I have met some of these people for the past, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. Because there has been this ridiculous conversation going on over and over and over. And even people who I thought were really smart gets caught up in this really dumb conversation. And if you haven't heard anybody talk about it, you are blessed. If you haven't been caught up in one of these ridiculous conversations, you should thank the Lord. Because uh, I can't understand it. There's no way I can wrap my mind around how rational people could sit around and spend so much time and energy talking and planning for something as absurd as the zombie apocalypse. Have you heard heard people talk about this stupid, stupid stuff? I mean, have you been exposed to this nonsense? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Whole grown people will come up with escape plans for when the zombie apocalypse comes. Not only that, they'll invent these wild scenarios about which one of their family members is going to survive. And, and they'll even have a plan and they'll pick on one of the family members because like, when the zombie apocalypse comes, you're the one we're sacrificing. <laughs> we're going to push you out. The rest of us are going to stay in. Now, now, this morning I'm using a title that some of you have probably seen uh, on, used on a television show. Now, I will raise my hand this morning and proudly say I've never seen 45 seconds of the show called The Walking Dead. Uh, not, not because I feel morally superior to that or any other reason other than I'm really busy. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. And when I do watch TV, I, I don't want to watch zombies. Like I'd rather watch a cooking show and, and, and have somebody show me how to honey glaze a pork chop. That's just me. Uh, or I'd like to watch somebody build a deck, and I, and I say, man, I'd really like to get some of them lag bolts. I wonder where he got them lag bolts from. So uh, that's just me. I, I'm just not called up into uh, television programs about the zombie apocalypse. So this morning, this message is going to have the same name, but it's not going to be about real zombies that you consider real zombies. It's going to be about real life zombies. The actual walking dead. Now, I'm going to be a little calm this morning, mainly because this is my sixth sermon in seven days, and I didn't get home until about 2.30 in the morning. I got back up at 5 o'clock this morning to work on this message. I'm running on a little bit of sleep and a whole lot of preaching, and the caffeine hasn't quite kicked in yet. So when you look up here, you're going to be like, he is the walking dead, Troy Lynn's already discovered that my eyes resemble the color of scarlet and the blood of Jesus. And and that's because I'm running on very uh, little sleep this morning. But uh, I'm not the walking dead that I'm talking about. I'm talking about real life zombies. And I'm going to begin this morning with a clip from a movie. This movie came out in 1999. Can you believe that 1999 is now considered vintage? Can you believe that? Can you, can you believe that 1999 is retro? Wow. So this movie came out in 1999, and up to that point, it had one of the most shocking endings of any movie that had ever been made. And everybody was talking about it. Now, you have to remember, in 1999, the Internet was not that big of a thing. So uh, everybody was talking about it, by, and I mean by word of mouth. And and the movie is called The Sixth Sense. Bruce Willis, if you have watched any of the diehards or any of those movies, Bruce Willis was one of the stars in the movie. And, And so I'm going to spoil the ending for you, but it's been 23 years. Okay? Bruce Willis is dead. The whole movie, he's dead. Pastor, you spoiled it for me. It's been 23 years. That's kind of like newsflash, Noah finished the boat. It's been a long time, okay? Uh, Okay? But but he's dead the whole movie, but when you watch the movie, you don't know he's dead. That's the surprise twist at the end. Now, there were hints that Bruce Willis was dead, and after you realize that he was dead, you think back over the movie, and you're like, oh, that's right. Because like the very first scene, he gets shot. Then... Through the whole two-hour movie, his wife never speaks to him. And the movie covers a one-year span of time. And when you're watching the movie, you think that it's more plausible that a wife would give her husband the silent treatment for a whole year than that he might actually be dead and not be there. It actually seems more realistic that a wife could sit at the dinner table and completely ignore her husband's existence than that this man was, was dead. And there is this kid in the movie who has a very unique ability, and I want to show you this clip to open our sermon this morning. I want to tell you my secret now. Here's what Bruce Willis says when he says, I see dead people. The little boy says, they walk around like regular people, and they don't know they're dead. They don't see each other, and nobody knows that they're dead. They see what they want to see. And Bruce Willis says, how often do you see them? All the time. They're everywhere. So what if that's not just a premise of a movie? What if everywhere you go, you see dead people who don't know they're dead? What if I was able to take the scriptures and teach you today that you don't know they're dead, they don't know they're dead, but you are surrounded and everywhere you go, you're actually seeing the walking dead. They don't see each other. As they are, they don't know what condition them and their, uh, everyone that they're in contact with is in. They're going through the motions. They're pretending to be alive, but they are really dead. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 3. And I'm going to share a couple of scriptures with you this morning. We're going to begin with verse 1 of Revelation Chapter 3, write this letter to the angel. Now, the angel of the church, most scholars believe that that's the pastor. And I hear what some of you are thinking. I don't know about that. I mean, I love you, Bishop, but an angel? Come on now. What that literally means is the messenger of the church. So that's why, that's why it's translated probably as the pastor of the church because what it's literally translated as is the messenger. So the messenger of the church in Sardis. Uh-huh. Sardis is a place. It's a location. It's a town. The, the pa- write this letter to the church at Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. This is a message from Jesus Christ himself. I know it's, uh, it's one of the many political seasons that we are going through. So this letter could have basically said, uh, this letter brought to you by the Lord Jesus Christ, he approved this message. Okay, there's seven, there seven churches in Asia Minor, and Jesus gave John a vision to write a letter to all seven of them. And this, this one is for the church in Sardis, and it's meant to sound like Jesus is talking directly to the church. And here's what he says, I know all the things you do. And if you grew up in church, that's scary. Jesus said, I know everything you do at that church and when you're not at church. Remember that song we used to sing about Santa Claus? He sees you when you're... Which, by the way, let me digress. That That is a strange thing to sing to little children. Like, there's two reasons I have trust issues. One is because they sing to me when I was a kid that he watches me when I'm sleeping. And the other one is oatmeal raisin cookies. Yeah, oatmeal raisin cookies looks too much like chocolate chip. And I've been into too many of them. I have trust issues because of oatmeal raisin cookies. Because they look too much. They should never even have invented oatmeal raisin cookies. Why in the world would anybody look at a chocolate chip cookie and say, let's replace the chocolate chips with raisins? And now I got trust issues because Santa Claus watched me when I was asleep, and <laughs> but I digress. Here's what Jesus says I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Here's what Jesus is saying I see dead people. I see dead people in my church. Jesus is writing these letters to the churches because he cares about the church. He's trying to bring correction to the churches. And he sees something in the church at Sardis that isn't right. They are going through the motions. He said, you have a reputation that you're alive, but you're really dead. And you're not really what you represent. You are showing people one thing, but you're living something else. And have you ever had a season in your life, and maybe you're in a season right now, where you're just going through the motions? Don't raise your hands. But do you know what I'm talking about? Where you are literally just going through the motions. And why do we do that? Why do we just go through the motions? Most of the time we do it because we feel like we're saving energy, that we're resting. But can I tell you what I've realized in the last couple of years? Just going through the motions doesn't bring rest It actually wears you out. It actually exhausts you. Look at what verse 2 says. Jesus says, wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Uh Uh-huh. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Wow. Boy, he don't sugarcoat it, does he? He jumps right to it. He said, wake up you got a little bit left, and you need to strengthen that little bit because even what's left is almost dead. That's, that's the walking dead. That's the zombie uh, syndrome that once you start dying, if you don't wake it up and correct it, it'll spread. Uh huh. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. That sounds like a letter that you would get from your boss if they were firing you, doesn't it? I find that your your, uh, actions do not meet the requirements of this company. Please go see the unemployment office. Go back. Number three, verse three. Go back. Say, wake up. Say, go back. Uh Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Now say, wake up. Say, go back. Say, repent. Uh Uh-huh. Hold on to those three things. They're going to come back to haunt you at the end of this message. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. What Jesus is saying here is that it is not healthy for you to just hang out, go through the motions, and wait for things to get better. Because he said while you're just waiting for things to get better, what you still have that is alive is liable to die too. If you don't strengthen what you got left, the same thing that killed the rest of you will eventually get what's left of you. So I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be controversial. Can I can I can I wade into that water? I've been gone preaching to strangers for a while. Can I? I, I, I preached to them strangers like I was back home last night. I lost my mind and was saying stuff that I wouldn't normally say in a. In another pulpit. I'd say it here because you guys get me. But I lost my mind for about 15 minutes. And I had to reel myself back in and say, sir, you are not at home. <laughs> you have got to straighten yourself up. I'm going to be real controversial and talk about a controversial subject. Are you with me? Let's talk about vaccines. I told you, controversy. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to talk about a different kind of vaccine because when you Google what a vaccine is, it's kind of fascinating. There's actually two main kind of vaccines. There's, there's one that's called a live attenuated vaccine and that contains a whole bacteria or virus that has been weakened. and then there's something called an inactivated vaccine. That contains a whole bacteria or virus that has been killed or altered. Basically, the reason I want to bring this up to you is it is a dead version of a live thing that is created to keep you from getting the live thing. So, so, so it's not as controversial as I made it sound like. I'm not It's not. I, I pulled your leg. It, it's a live thing that used to be alive that is now dead that you take so you don't catch the live thing. And what Jesus is talking about in the book of Revelation is religion acts like a vaccine. It's a dead thing that if you take enough of it, it will keep you from catching the alive thing. The relationship with Christ is the live thing. And if you get enough religion in you, it'll act like a vaccine where you'll feel like you have a, religion, a, a relationship, but it's a dead thing that's keeping you from catching the live thing. So what, key, what the people in Sardis had was religion. And religions act like vaccines. It keeps us from experiencing the real thing. So we end up just going through the motions Going through the motions, wearing ourselves out, and wondering why nothing we read about in this book ever happens in our life. We think that we have a relationship when we really just have... Religious people think that they're alive, but they're not. As a matter of fact, um, put uh, put my travel video up on the screen if you would please Uh, there is a whole there is a whole uh, segment of sports out there right now where you can get on a fake bicycle or you can take a walk and you can go to any exotic place that you'd like to go to you want to go to the shores of Sicily You never have to leave the comfort of your home. You want to walk down the streets of Spain? Be my guest. You can subscribe to Peloton and they will take you on a bike ride wherever you want to go. You want to see the leaves change in Vermont? Let's go. And listen, it's a good way to break a sweat. It's a good way for you to feel like you're doing something. But you're just going through the motions, friend. As a matter of fact, I can do this exercise like this I mean I mean if all you want to do is go through the motions there's ways for you to just go through the motions but there's no real benefit Because you end up exactly where you started, you end up tired, you end up bored, you end up empty, and you didn't accomplish anything that you set out to accomplish. This is what the walking dead does. We're not supposed to just go through the motions. I don't even have time to take you over to Matthew's gospel where Jesus said that the, that, that the church would be triumphant, full of glory, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I only have time to take you over there that he was not talking about the gates attacking the church. He was talking about the church attacking the gates, that we're supposed to be preemptive about this thing and that we're supposed to not just go through the motions but actually have power. But why is the church the walking dead? Why, why are we just going through the motions? Well, I'm glad you asked. One reason that we stay dead is because we are the walking wounded. Can I help you? We're going we're to draw all of our uh, sermons that we've preached for five weeks into one funnel. You ready? We're going to go through it real quickly. Here are the wounds that if you do not deal with them, they bring eventual death, spiritual death. They make the walking dead a reality. Because if you leave wounds untreated long enough, what do they become? Infected. If you leave infection alone long enough, it becomes gangrene. And an amputation is going to follow. Why do we have churches full of the walking dead? Because of things, wounds like hurt, bitterness, Rejection, sin, failure, discontentment, abandonment, mistakes, and a need or thirst for revenge. Let, let, let me just break this down because obviously I don't have time to preach all of these. Let me just break some of these down for you. Unhealed wounds that make you you will come to church for years. Pay your tithes, become a member, raise your hands, clap when the preacher gets good, uh, clap with the music. You'll shake hands, maybe you'll join some ministry teams, and still be the walking dead. How does it happen? Because we have untreated wounds like bitterness. You've never married yourself to the to a pastor because one pastor hurt you. 30 years ago, and you have never put yourself under submission to another pastor again. You come to church, but you are missing the fullness of having a relationship and a covering because somebody hurt you, and you won't let go of the bitterness. That's a wound. That's a festering wound that will eventually cause you to become a zombie. The thirst for revenge. Go over, go over and read the Old Testament story. Of David. David took another man's wife. Have you heard this story? There was a woman. She was. He was up on the roof. Uh, all the kings went to war. It was a pretty spring day. David was up on the roof, probably laying out in the sun. He probably had some coconut oil on him. He looked over on the next rooftop and he saw a UFO, an undressed female object. Taking a bath, and the Bible says he looked upon her. You can't help see what you see the first time, but it's the second stare that always gets you. The Bible says David invited her over. He ended up impregnating her. He ended up killing her husband. She had a grandfather. Named Ahithophel. Ahithophel ended up being one of the counselors in David's court. Ahithophel got close to David. Found out David's secrets. His military tactics. And then he turned on David. And gave David's son Absalom. All the information and the enticement to turn on David. And try to steal the kingdom away. Absalom's rebellion came because of her grandfather. And his thirst For revenge. He got close to David, but he would never give his heart to David because he never forgave David for what he did. It's a wound that ended up causing him to miss the blessing. He was living in the palace. He was part of David's court. He could have been blessed beyond measure, but he couldn't let go of the damage and the wound. And because he would not, could not, refuse to allow healing to come, he was the walking Missing all the blessing that God had given him. And listen, I'm not talking about just sin. You see, sin is one. Of the issues. But it's not the only thing. Some of these. Most of these are not sinful. Failure is not sinful. It may not even be your fault. But you can allow your failure. To wound you. And you not get over it. And it will continue to fester in your spirit. Until you refuse to accept God's love and forgiveness. Because you always feel such guilt. And shame. And feel like a failure. And you don't ever get over it. And you are locked out of God's blessings for you because you messed up. What are our core values? Everybody's somebody. Nobody's perfect. You won't be. I don't care how long you serve this Jesus Christ. You will continue to mess up. As long as there's air in your lungs, you will make mistakes. But it's not about not making mistakes. It's about picking yourself up and dusting yourself off and continuing on the journey. The walking dead. This is the first thing that calls them. Unhealed wounds. The second thing, they are terrorized by trauma. What kind of trauma? Well, the one I'm going to deal with is emotional trauma. They're terrorized by trauma. Listen, listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. Do you know what Jesus came to do? I know you think it was to get you into heaven. But that's not the only thing he came to do. Because he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. That word anointed, the anointing breaks. Uh-huh. What kind of yoke? Well, he's about to tell you. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised. Can I ask a very serious question before I move on because there's some walking dead in here. You've asked God to heal your back. You've asked God to heal your cancer. You've asked God to heal your migraines. Why won't you let Him heal your broken heart? Because out of everything He said He came to do, leukemia is not up there. But you don't you don't act you don't think twice about bringing your diabetes to Him. You don't think twice about bringing uh, your, your, your high blood pressure and asking him to heal up. That. But that's not what he said he came, that he was anointed to do. He said he was anointed to heal the broken hearted. And we hold on to our heartbreak and try to release our bad knees. It's quiet in this mortuary. That's what the walking dead do. They lose their voice first. What kind of trauma, emotional trauma, comes from accidents, abuse, divorce, crimes against us, and abandonment. What happens is you will become a member of the self-pity committee because somebody hurt you. I'm not diminishing your pain. Being abandoned is traumatic. Having a crime committed against you is traumatic, going through divorce, being abused, having accidents. All of this is legitimate trauma. The problem is we join the self-pity committee and we become victims and we don't let go of what we have had uh, put upon us. See, you can't stop people from abusing you because they do it without your permission. But you can stop that trauma from affecting your life I got about a quarter of you clapping because y'all want to blame well who did what to you on how you respond today but I'm here to tell you that the Bible doesn't give you access to blame them for how you respond to things yes what they did was wrong but what has hurt you more than what they did is how you have clutched to it How you have held on to the trauma has been what has actually been damaging to you. What they did to you was over pretty quickly. They abused you. They committed a a heinous act against you. It happened. It hurt. And it was over. Twenty years later, you're still clutching to the trauma. That's not on them. That's on you. That's on you. And and the problem is that when when we talk about the walking dead, it comes from... It comes from uh, unhealed hurts. It comes from trauma. And the third thing, and I'm not going to get too deep into this because this is next week's sermon, curses. Curses. Some of y'all are looking at your neighbor saying, I told you quit cussing me. I'm not talking about cuss words. No, a curse, a curse is not cuss words. Uh, A curse is believing a lie about yourself because other people said something about you. Or did something towards you. Or had an attitude towards you. That's a curse. When you take on what somebody else said about you and you believe it, you've been cursed. Proverbs 25 and 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Yeah. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. Have you ever met a parent who... Who gets around their kid when you're around them, and it's like that parent is deaf and blind? Like you see that kid and they call them happy and you call them heathen? Like, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like they are smiling and they're saying, Oh, oh, little Johnny's such a blessing. You're like, to who? And listen, I'm with you, okay? I'm with you. Some of y'all, you got friends that you would love to go and visit her, but while y'all are talking at the table, her little monster's under the table pouring milk inside your purse. I get it. I, I get it. I get it. I, I'm with you. But yet, I'm also, the older I get, realizing what they're doing. Because the world is full of curses. The world is full of Casting dispersions onto your children and your grandchildren and your marriage. The world is full of curses. Every chance you get, you need to erase some of those curses with words fitly joined to your child. Here's what I believe. I believe if you don't like the husband you got, you ought to talk good about him until he becomes what it is that you say he is. If you don't like the way your wife treats you, instead of complaining about the way she treats you all the time, you need to speak into existence the wife that you want her to be. Tell her that she's kind. Tell her that she's generous. And then see if what you... Because our words have created power. I don't know if anybody told you that. But the Bible tells, uh, tells me that the power of life and death is in my tongue. And I can't speak death over a marriage for 40 years and then wonder why it's dead. Oh, I see it. I... It, I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. i go back to the way y'all like it. A curse is like tying a rope around you on one end and something that's killing you on the other. And that's why you can't get loose and you can't get free and you can't get well. I've preached in churches that I could tell from the moment I opened my Bible it was a cursed place. That they had spoken curses Over that congregation. There was people sitting in there that had spoken curses against the ministry, that had spoken curses against each other. And I could tell from the moment I opened my Bible that I was going to have a hard day of preaching ahead of me because I was preaching in a cursed place. The next thing, the fourth thing that causes the Walking Dead, is this okay? Are you all right? They are paralyzed by pitiful patterns. Paralyzed by pitiful patterns. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. It's a little catchy phrase that simply means this. You take God for granted too much. Wow, y'all have all quit on me. My whole amen committee has just quit. Y'all know I'm telling the truth and y'all just won't. Okay, let me break it down to you like this. God gave Israel manna. They were going to starve to death. When you're about to starve to death... Anything you get, any morsel you partake of is a blessing. When God gave them manna, they had never seen anything like it before. And they looked at it and said, what is it? And the word manna means, what is it? Because it was a miracle. I'm going to say it again. Manna was a miracle. And when they first tasted it, it was wonderful. Because miracles taste wonderful when they first show up. A year later, Numbers chapter 11 verse 6, But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Their miracle got monotonous. And they're taking God for granted. And this is a pitiful pattern that I watch the walking dead do all the time. Because we ask God for a job, and he gives us one, and all we do is complain about it. What happened to the miracle? Uh, y'all not going to help me. I'm just going to preach like y'all are happy, and I'm going to preach myself happy. You ask God for a job, and then you got the unmitigated gall to go to work and complain about the boss and complain about the workload and complain about the hours and complain about the pay and complain about how long you got to stay in and complain and complain and complain. I remember when you came up to the front, asked us to help you pray that God would give you a job, and now you want to complain about your miracle? How bold we are to shake our fist in the face of God and say, I don't appreciate what you gave me. I have a hard time with this myself. I'll look out here sometime and half the volunteers don't show up some some Sunday. And I have to remember, this is the miracle. 47... That was the first phase. This is the next step of my miracle. When I look out here, I see the miracle. But sometimes when half the volunteers don't show up and and things are going wrong and we have to repair this and fix that, I'm like, i got to remember, this is the miracle. I'm thankful that I have 30 volunteers that didn't show up because there was a time I was the volunteer committee. The fact that I could have 20 of them not show up means I've got more than 20. This is the miracle. You looked, up, you looked across a room at some point, and you gazed into his baby blue eyes, and you said, my God, if he would just give me a fine hunk of a specimen like that. And 17 years later, you look across that room, and he's asleep in a recliner with his mouth open, snoring, got a mustard stain on his shirt and on his chin. And like the Israelites when they saw manna, you say, what is it? (laughs) See, (laughs) I'll never get this back down. Some patterns will paralyze you Because you become bored with the miracle. And once you get paralyzed, what you used to appreciate becomes a wound. Do you realize that all along your way there are little decisions that you make that become patterns in your life? Corners that you cut? You used to love the Lord so much you would not have ever did this. And now you do it all the time. Y'all not going to help me? Words that you speak. You used to watch what you said to your spouse. You used to watch how you spoke to your boss. You used to watch how you talked when you were among the brethren. And now you just let her fly because this is who I am and I got to be me. What happened? You developed pitiful patterns that are now wounds In your spirit and you think you're hurting other people but you're becoming the walking dead where would you be financially let me just let me if I got the knife in I'm gonna twist it where would you be financially if you'd have made a few different choices along the way if you wouldn't have bought that car if you wouldn't have upgraded to that house you know the one that once you got into it, you said, this is too much house. You know, like I did when I had that uh, lifted F-150 and I looked out my driveway one day and said, I don't deserve that. I, I don't deserve that. i got to get rid of that because that's not fitting my lifestyle and where I want to be in the choice. And if I hadn't have made that choice back then, I started doing the numbers, I went, my God. Had I not done this, I could be here. I'm the only one. If you hadn't, have, if you hadn't made that vacation, if you hadn't put in that in-ground pool, if you, if you would have just made a few extra choices differently along the way, where would you be financially? But see, choices become habits. And habits that are perpetually wrong become wounds. Let me help you out. You get depressed. Depression is a real thing. And you get wounded by Depression. Depression may not be your fault. There may be a genetic or a chemical element to it. Hello? But in the process of dealing with the depression, you start complying with the habits that depression instigate. Am I helping anybody? In other words, your depression causes you to make certain decisions. The decisions you make because of the depression... Determines how long you stay depressed. You get depressed, Glenette, you don't want to talk to nobody because you're depressed. But because you don't talk to anybody, you stay depressed. Long. You, get, you feel unappreciated by your wife. The longer you stay in that pattern of feeling unappreciated, the better your secretary works and the better she looks. Because the pattern is, if I'm going to be stuck here, I'm going to do what I have to do to cope with it. But what I cope with it determines how long I stay. How do you become the walking dead? The devil uses these wounds to attack you, but the attack is not as important as what you do after the attack. Because the pattern a lot of us develop is to move from being attacked to being devoured. You know the enemy can attack you. You should know that by now. Peter said that the enemy's like a roaring lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Doesn't say he can devour whoever he wants to, it says he's walking around looking for some wounded people that will lay down and become lunch. And you decide whether or not the enemy devours you. In other words, the difference between him attacking you and devouring you is the decisions you make after the attack. You are going to be attacked. There's no way around it. You will not get so holy. You will not become so powerful in the Lord that you will not face attacks. You will become attacked. But what determines whether or not you just get wounded or you become lunch is how you respond After you get wounded. What do you do with the wound? When anxiety attacks you, what do you do with it? How do you respond to it? When you feel sad, what choices do you make to deal with sad? Because the choices you make to deal with your sad is going to determine how long you stay sad. Because you can make good choices that's going to shorten your stay. Or you can determine that you're going to develop some pitiful patterns and just start taking God's blessings for granted and don't be affra- don't be surprised when you take God's blessings for granted that you lose them a few weeks ago we looked at this scripture Matthew 26 and 38 Jesus is in the garden praying and here's what the uh, tra- this translation says Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, I'm so sad. I feel like I'm dying. Stay here and keep awake with me. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Why would would Jesus say that? This is Jesus. And even Jesus needed his friends to help him cope with his pain. Even Jesus needed support when he was that. I feel I'm so sad. I feel like I'm dying. The Walking Dead. I feel like I'm dying. Stay. Would you Would you stay here and keep awake with me? Can Can, can I help you? Are you okay? I'm sorry. I'm preaching a long time, and maybe I've just hurt your feelings so bad now that you're not even going to receive healing. But the devil loves to lie to you and convince you not to tell anybody anything about your pain or your struggle because what would they think of me if they knew that I struggle with this so we try to hide our harm Jesus was under a heavy burden and when you try to carry something that is so heavy and you try to deal with it alone it will cause you to fall and once you fall The devil loves to lie to you and tell you that you failed. But I want somebody in this church to know that you can fall and not be a failure. Just because... Just because you failed doesn't mean that you failed and you need to know that you can get back up. But you've got to stop trying to hide your harm. We all have pain. We all struggle. And we need each other. For years, the church has just walked around and acted like none of us have anything wrong. No wonder the world don't want to join us. Because they feel so inferior to our standard. Well, I gave my heart to Jesus and I don't have no troubles anymore. Then lay hands on me. Please, for the love of all things holy, pray for me. Because I have not yet arrived. I hear people say this. Oh, I'm going through something. I just can't be in church. Can I tell you that's exactly when you need to be in church? And you don't just need to come to church, you need to quit trying to hide your harm and share your struggle because when life gets too heavy for you to carry it by yourself, you need to be able to hand it off. You need to be able to come to brothers and sisters and say, "I need some help. Would you please pray for?" So, there's seven churches in Revelation. And they're all being attacked by the enemy. I'm I'm going to quit you want to come up here and make me quit? I'll quit. I preached an hour and 27 minutes last night. Problems with victory, people don't have that kind of stamina. And I mean, I preached for an hour and 27 minutes. I didn't do what I'm doing this morning. I preached. There were seven churches in Revelation. John was writing a letter to each one of them. Every one of them was being attacked by the enemy, except Sardis. Do you want to know why? Because Sardis was dead. And the devil will leave you alone if you are the walking dead. Every decision we make around here in this building, I want I, I let me just clear the air about something. We paint walls and we paint ceilings black, and we always get questions: why'd you do that? And why'd you do that? Can I tell you that the reason we do everything here? is so that dead people can find life. It it, it has nothing else to do with nothing else. We're not trying to become more technologically advanced just so we can show off. We're not. Listen, I have preached in fields. I have preached under pavilions. I have preached in hospital rooms. And one time, I preached a whole message for 40-some minutes in a woman's living room in a single wide trailer in McDowell County, West Virginia, that was smaller than some of your closets in your bedroom so if the walls in here were a different color or we had a different light right here instead of this one it wouldn't make no never mind to me I'm going to preach the same way and we're going to do it for the same exact reason to help dead people find life that's why we do what we do that's why we do everything we do and I'm going to draw your attention back to the three commands that Jesus said to come alive the first thing he said was this Wake up. Wake up. Th- would, you, would you throw my video up and just let it run? Anybody, anybody know what this is? Somebody's going to say a bassinet and you'd be wrong. Does anybody know what that is? Uh, so, 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 y'all! I don't have no bougie people in here. Okay, this thing's called a snoo. S-N-O-O. It's called a snoo. And, and you put the baby in it, and it's kind of got, a, kinda, kinda got a, a straight jacket. And, and, and it velcros the baby to, to the surface. And this thing, it's about $1,500, so put that on your register. All y'all pregnant girls, put that on your register. And um, I don't know, Brother Todd or somebody bought it for you. And um, it's, it's about $1,500. It's called a snoo, it's got a speaker. And it plays music or sounds. And as the baby cries, that shaking gets worse, which I thought was bad for babies. But this thing was, was, was designed by a pediatrician. And, and, and so the shaking, the shaking goes on. And if the baby goes to sleep, then the shaking will eventually stop. But if the baby keeps crying... And because it's got that Velcro straight jacket on, it can't roll over, so the baby stays on its back all the time. It's supposed to be the most technologically advanced and safest design for a child because they can't roll over, they can't get loose, they can't hurt themselves, and if they get louder, the shaking gets more violent and the music gets louder until the baby settles down and then they go to sleep. They say that a baby put in this will sleep for 12 straight hours. I'm glad... That they didn't have this when I was, because my wife probably would have had like six of them. Because one of the reasons you quit having babies is because you don't get no sleep for like nine years. Right? But this is a snoo. And and you, you put a baby in it, and when the baby gets fussy, it puts the baby to sleep. And Jesus told the church to wake up. Because the devil's got a lot of church folk in a snoo. He's put a lot of us to sleep. And the louder we get and the more fussing, the more he pacifies us. And Jesus said, you need to wake up. Then he said, wake up and go back. Let me ask you a question. What made you start serving this Jesus? Well, what made you fall in love with him in the first place? Because I'm going to tell you something. What half, I watched the half-dead happen all the time. People who got saved, loved the Lord, loved to serve. They wanted to be around the ministry. If I went on a preaching trip, they wanted to go. If there was something going on at the church, they wanted to be part of it. They wanted to serve. They wanted to get their hands dirty. They just wanted to be around it. They thought about Jesus. They talked about Jesus. And then? Life gets in the way. They have some trouble at work. They got to get another business going. They got to get this started. They went through a marriage. They had a kid that got married. They have this, that, the other. And all of a sudden, the things that they used to care about, about the kingdom, is third, fourth priority now. Oh, but by the way, they still want God to bless everything they do. They still want God to prioritize them. But they've taken several steps back. Jesus said, Wake up. And go back if you don't want to be the walking dead you got to go back to what you first fell in love with and does anybody know what the third thing is repent yeah when you came to Christ his blood covered everything now, now, now you're not some of y'all religious people some of you walking dead ain't going to like this Jesus' blood did it all he covered all the sins he did the past sins the present sins, and the future sins. Some of you religious folks won't like that. Not y'all, people watching on live stream. Won't like that because you want people to have to pay the penalty for their future sins. But if Jesus already paid it, what are you doing paying for it? What he says is, repent. And can I tell you that repentance is not for Jesus. Repentance is not for Jesus. Repent means to turn around and return to. Repentance is not for Jesus. In other words, I don't ask Jesus to forgive me so Jesus will forgive me. I ask Jesus to forgive me because it restores the relationship that I broke. It's for me to turn, to stop doing what it is that I'm asking I'm sorry about and to go back to where I used to be with him. That's what repentance is for. He'll forgive me. He already forgave me. The Bible says he removed my sins as far as the east is. From the West, the forgiveness has already been granted, but I tarnished that. I messed that up. So forgiveness, repentance, is me going back to where I was supposed to be. And you need to know that repentance starts in your mind. You have to think differently before you'll ever act differently. If I think something is good, I'll choose that good thing. If I think something is bad, I'll leave it alone. Okay, that's how you actually know that you've become a Christian because your thoughts start changing. 59 minutes, I know, I just. <sighs> okay, so when I was a boy, middle school, I worked at a summer camp all summer to buy my school clothes. I, work, I worked all summer at a summer camp um, and I used my paychecks to buy my, summer, my, my school clothes. Because I wanted clothes my mama wouldn't buy. (laughs) So I had to work. But because I was in middle school, my mama had to drive me to my job. And I stayed there all week. On the way, I used some of my money every week to buy snacks. Because I was an employee, not a camper. So I could eat snacks. And one of the things that I ate all the time that whole summer was Cool Ranch Doritos and French onion dip. And I would eat a whole big bag of it and a whole canister of dip every week. And one night at camp, I got sick. I got bad sick. I got all over the hallway sick. I got Doritos and French onion dip out the nose sick. Do you know what happened to me that day? I had a born-again experience. Oh, yeah. I had a conversion because from the age of 14 to the age of 48, guess how I feel about Doritos these days? My Alyssa loved Doritos. She would open a bag in the other end of the house, the smell would hit me, and I could feel myself getting ill from the smell on the other end of the house. I haven't tasted one, they make me sick to look at. I had a real conversion that day. When Doritos come out of your nose, you'll never want another Dorito again. And that's what a conversion born again experience does. If you haven't, if you haven't got to that point with sin yet, you said a prayer, but I doubt you got saved. You got baptized But you can get baptized And just get wet If you have not gotten to the point Where sin makes you sick I'm not sure you're saved Did you hear what that little boy said They walk around And they don't know they're dead They don't see each other And they have no idea And he said How often do you see them All the time They're everywhere Jesus said you have a reputation Of being alive But you're dead He said I've seen all the things that you do I've seen all the outreaches I've seen all the days The Sundays that you drove the church van That you sang in the praise team That you preached the gospel I've seen all the things you did You have a reputation of being alive you're dead so I'm talking to some walking dead in here I, I want you to know I know it but me knowing it won't help you at all it's irrelevant whether I know it your spouse knows it your mama knows it Jesus surely knows it but it only becomes effective when you know it because you're the only one that can deal with this thing now I'm going to open this altar up and I'm going to open it up specifically to get Christians saved which sounds like a stupid thing for a pastor to say on Sunday morning but I've come to realize in my walk with the Lord that a lot of people have said a prayer but not being converted Now, I may not have anybody come up here this morning and take me up on this. It Doesn't matter to me. I'm going to put it in the atmosphere, and you're going to have to deal with it. Because some of you are sitting there going, well, I can't go up there. If I go up there, what are these people going to think about me? They're going to think you came to get saved. And them and the angels in heaven are going to rejoice. Because that's what we do in a family. We get happy when you come to us. Have you ever, have you, you know, little my little Veda's here this morning. At some point, she'll start walking, but she won't take right off and walk. She'll fall down. And when she falls down and gets back up, we'll all cheer and say, hey, good job. That's what we do in a family. When you fall and you get back up, whew, hallelujah. Because somebody just like you fell and stayed down and we're glad that wasn't you you got back up so yeah I'm not going to cover it up this morning I'm not going to be all secretive because you don't need that if you're the walking dead you got a reputation for being alive maybe you serve here in the church listen I'm not gonna fire you I ain't gonna just step down you got a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I want you to come to this altar. And I want you you to come up and I want you to say, I I, I need the real thing. I, I, I said a prayer, but I need to be converted. I need to hate sin. I don't... Legalism and religion gives you a list of laws and says don't do this and do this and I don't need that list anymore you know why because I don't want to hurt him I don't need a list of do's and don'ts because that's not how I operate anymore I live my life to please him because I have a relationship and I don't want to hurt him I want to serve Him. I want to preach this gospel if that's what He wants me to do. I want to pray if that's what He wants me to do. I want to have a celebration every time I come to service because I'm celebrating the risen Lord. I don't need you to tell me a list of do's and don'ts. Because when I know what's wrong, I don't do it. I don't want to do it. And if I do do it, I turn, I repent, and I hate it. I don't ever want to those again. They make me sick to my stomach. And there's stuff I used to do that if I thought about doing it now, it'd make me sick to my stomach. Sick to my stomach. Where are you at? You're not the first one. There's already people here. Where are you at? Where's the walking Dead at this morning? What are they going to think about me? They're going to think you needed to get up here and meet with Jesus. And we're going to say, Hallelujah. Because, yeah, you've prayed, but have you been converted? You've been baptized, but have you changed? How do you feel about sin? Does it make you sick? Or have you become oblivious to it? This is your chance. This is your morning. I have preached my guts out for five weeks to get to this altar call. Because I've tried to heal your emotions. I've tried to heal your traumas. Because I needed you to get a connection between the way you feel and why you feel that way. And your spirit. And now, the last healing. The most important healing. Is you and the Holy Ghost. God, I'm sorry for the sins that I commit. God, I need you. I'm sorry for the way that I've treated your grace and your mercy. I don't want to just be in the church. I want my name in the book. I need to go back to what I fell in love with. I said the prayer and I'm in it and I've stayed saved. But Jesus, I stopped serving you. I don't come to your house the way I used to and I don't come with joy anymore and I don't want to I don't want to be the usher anymore I don't want to sing in the praise team anymore I don't want to serve anymore Jesus I need that back I don't want to be cold and indifferent towards you you've been too good to me for me to walk away from your grace God bless every person in this altar every honest Saint of God seeking the face of God in this altar today. Bless them and move in their life. Heal their traumas and their hurts. Quicken their spirit and make them alive. In the name of Jesus.